Today, the Senate passed a long-awaited foreign aid package for Ukraine and Israel, delivering a bipartisan endorsement of the legislation after months of negotiations, dire battlefield warnings, and political mudslinging. But the measure faced a buzzsaw of opposition in the House, where Republican resistance threatened to kill it. Senator Mitch McConnell, however, was ecstatic because he put his standing on the line in aggressively pursuing military assistance for Ukraine over deep Republican resistance. He said this was more about his legacy and about American leadership, strength, and history, he said, will record that the Senate did not blink. And just hours before the Senate approved the bill in that lopsided 70 to 29 vote, Speaker of the House Mike Johnson suggested he would not even allow the aid package to receive a vote on the House floor. And a Super Bowl advertisement promoted the presidential campaign of Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a remake of a 1960 spot that helped put his uncle John F. Kennedy in the White House, has struck a nerve with Kennedy family members and friends who worry that the ad exploited and potentially tarnished the legacy of a storied political family. And for those of you who love Jon Stewart, he is back. He returned Monday night as host of The Daily Show. Now, this is the Comedy Central News satire show, which he turned into a cultural force before leaving in August 2015. It was announced in January that Stewart will be back uh, as host of that show uh, on Monday nights, and he'll do so through the end of the presidential election. And in New York, we are watching to see if a Republican uh, from a little-known Nassau County, uh, well, she is a little-known Nassau County legislator running against Tom Susie, a former Democratic congressman, uh, both running to replace the disgraced George Santos. It'll be interesting to see. We're going to be watching that race to see if the Democrat can pull it out, because uh, if so, that will further reduce the lead that Republicans have in the House. And in other news, the Michigan House of Representatives was stripped of his uh, staff members and committee positions yesterday after he posted online a racist conspiracy theory. Uh, this House Speaker or this House uh, Representative's name is Josh Schreiber, and he sparked a furor last week when he shared a post on social media of an image captioned, The Great Replacement. Now, this image references the far-right conspiracy theory that non-white immigrants are deliberately brought into white-majority countries to undermine the political power and cultures of white people. Schreiber doubled down and asked on social media, what did I tweet that was false? And he says, anyone that's against him is a part of an anti-white agenda. And talking about uh, anti-white agenda and racism, the House and Senate Republicans have been on the record denigrating fellow, fellow lawmakers, Biden administration officials, and witnesses in racist ways. Now, they're making these racist comments in casual comments as well as in official settings. And if you were like hundreds of millions of folks on Sunday, you were watching the Super Bowl. It drew a staggering 100 or 137 million viewers. And this tops last year's viewing, which was at about 115 million. 
folks are saying it had everything to do with being uh, in Las Vegas, uh, also having Taylor Swift in a celebrity suite as long, in addition to having the halftime performance by the super hot performer, Usher. This is Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin. This is your one-stop destination for today's trending news, expert analysis, and my unfiltered opinions. This is hour two of Ariva Martin in real time, and this is the hour where we dig a little deeper, where we go behind those headlines and we bring you those stories that people are talking about. Well, today we're talking about uh, Superior Court Judge Scott McAfee, uh, his ruling on Monday, that it is possible that Bonnie Willis, the famed district attorney from Fulton County, Georgia, he says it's possible that Bonnie Willis might be disqualified from the Trump RICO case based on facts being alleged by one of the co-defendants in that case. Uh, those allegations are that Bonnie Willis is having an intimate relationship with one of the special prosecutors, Nathan Wade and that she has benefited from over $600,000 that the district attorney's office has paid uh, Nathan Wade's law firm. Now, so far, these are just salacious, salacious allegations. There's not been any real evidence to support any of these allegations that were first uh, made in a court filing by one of the defendants in this RICO case. But uh, the defendant has posed enough questions and has caused enough uh, concerns such that the judge, who we were hoping would not hold an evidentiary hearing, has determined that there must be a hearing and that hearing is going to happen on Thursday. Now, this is very significant because one, this is a state court, so there are cameras in that courtroom. We've seen hearings in that courtroom before. Uh, two, we may see the district attorney being forced to take the witness stand in this case, even before Donald Trump or any of those other 16 or 17 co-defendants have to take the witness stand. And according to this judge, if he determines based on the evidence that there is an actual or even, as he said, an appearance of a conflict of interest, we may see Bonnie Willis, Nathan Wade, and others in her office deemed disqualified. Now we're going to talk about when we come forward, uh, what does that mean if Bonnie Willis and Nathan Waite are deemed disqualified to move forward with the prosecution of Donald Trump? What happens to that case? What evidence should we all be looking to see on Thursday? What, what evidence is likely to come in? And what are the chances that Bonnie Willis herself, an elected official for Fulton County, what are the chances that she will have to take the witness stand and tell the intimate details of her relationship with Nathan Wade? They both have already acknowledged that they are in a personal relationship. Uh, she denies all the other allegations made, but this is going to be uh, potentially a disaster, a disaster for this very, very prominent Black female district attorney a disaster for Nathan Wade, an African-American lawyer who was a municipal court judge in uh, Georgia, uh, and for her office. Some folks are saying Fannie Willis should just step down, that she should step aside herself, that Nathan Wade should step down, that they should give this case to someone else in her office. Uh, but so far, Fannie Willis has resisted those calls for her 
to voluntarily step down from this case. Uh, when we come forward, we're going to talk to a former prosecutor, state prosecutor from the state of New York, about what all of this means. And she's going to help us understand the pressure that Fannie Willis, I can only imagine, we can only imagine, her whole career is being, you know, potentially challenged by this hearing. Uh, we're going to talk in detail about this hearing and what you need to know, because many of you will be glued to your TV sets on Thursday when this historic questioning of witnesses to determine if Bonnie Willis can move forward with her prosecution, her RICO prosecution of Donald Trump. Stay with us, KBLA Talk 1580. She's the real deal in real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. There's no time like the present. Let's get back to more of Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back. And in this hour, we are talking about what's going to be a historic day in a Georgia courtroom on Thursday. And not because Donald Trump is going to be taking the witness stand but because the prosecutor, Fannie Willis, who has brought uh, this unprecedented RICO charge against a former president and about 16 other co-defendants, she may be on the witness stand because of allegations that she's in a personal relationship with one of the special prosecutors on this case, Nathan Wade. And not only that she's in a personal relationship, but that she has somehow benefited from the money paid to Nathan Wade's law firm by the Fulton County District Attorney's Office. Uh, here to help us make sense of this really bizarre turn of events in this case uh, is my good friend, Bernarda Villalona. She is a 19-year uh, attorney. She worked as a prosecutor uh, in a Manhattan District Attorney's Office, and she's been following this case pretty closely. Happy to have you with uh, me, uh, Bernarda, in this uh, hour, because there's so many things that's troubling me about this case. I was actually on a, a kind of a high-level strategy call with a bunch of lawyers that uh, do what we do in terms of legal commentary on television, and they told us that we should all just stay the course, that the evidence you know, was pretty clear that she had not, Fannie Willis had not done anything that would be disqualifying under Georgia law. But then this judge, uh, Judge McAfee, who's overseeing this, says that it's not just, you know, the issue of a real uh, a conflict, but the appearance of a conflict of interest that might get Fannie Willis uh, deemed disqualified. So help us understand what is Georgia's law on disqualification in a case like this? Thank you for having me, Ariva. I'm also concerned with everything that's going on, having to deal with Fannie Willis. And just to be clear, so I was a prosecutor for 16 years, three years in Philadelphia and 13 years in Brooklyn, New York. And one thing I have to tell you, when we're talking about disqualification in the state of Georgia, there has to be an actual conflict. And that actual conflict has to be where the loyalties could prejudice the defendants leading leading to an improper conviction. When we're talking about an actual conflict of interest in the state of Georgia, usually you see a prosecutor being disqualified if that prosecutor represented a witness, if that prosecutor was in a relationship with an active witness, if that prosecutor had uh, an, a prior occasion representing that witness as a defense attorney. In cases where the special prosecutor is compensated by the contingency fee, 
those are the clear cut circumstances where a prosecutor is disqualified and there's case law is disqualified in the state of Georgia. Here, what we're talking about is a personal relationship in the state of Georgia. Even parties that are married are not disqualified from appearing in a case. So that is not an issue. Personal relationship. Does it look bad? Absolutely. Is it grounds to have case? Absolutely not. In the end, I think Fannie Willis is going to prevail. But the question that we all have to ask for ourselves and Fannie Willis, as well as Nathaniel Wade has to ask himself, should they remain on the case? In my opinion, I think Nathaniel Wade should step away from the case and just let the prosecution go as it should go without having those distractions. Well, let me step back because uh, you said a lot, uh, Bernarda, and help. thank you for setting the record straight in terms of what Georgia's law, because that's the law that's going to be applicable to this case. If what you said is true, that there has to be an actual conflict, why did Judge McAfee, who's overseeing this case, why did he say, uh, you know, he's going to be looking for whether there's an actual or perceived conflict, uh, suggesting that just on the basis of a perceived conflict or the appearance, we hear that word a lot, the appearance of a conflict, that that might be grounds for disqualification. Yeah, but when you're talking about the appearance of a conflict, it's not one when you're dealing with a personal relationship. It's quite clear from the papers, and this is why I was hoping Judge McAfee would have ruled just on the papers and not have, have an evidentiary hearing, is that one, Fannie Willis and Nathaniel Wade weren't benefiting from this relationship in the sense that he was getting paid more money or he was making more money than the other special prosecutors on this case. Because the law is clear in the sense that if there's a contingency fee in the sense of Nathaniel Wade was being paid based on only if he were to get a conviction in this case, then it can be perceived that there is a conflict of interest in that type of case. But in terms of the relationship that they have, the personal relationship, a perceived conflict is just not there. And I don't think Judge McAfee is going to rule in having to deal with the personal relationship itself. If anything possible, an inquiry as to the money. Judge McAfee has already ruled that he is not going to look into an inquiry as to whether Nathaniel Wade had the proper qualifications to have been appointed as a special prosecutor. So that is clear already because there have been a lot of rumblings as to whether Wade should have been appointed to begin with. So that line of questioning is already going to be taken off of the table. But one thing that let's talk about this money issue. So you said if Wade was being paid a contingency and the contingency means no money up front, but if uh, there's a conviction, then he'll get X amount of money. So it's contingent upon something, and that contingency would be a conviction. So that's not the case here. He's being paid from what we know from the uh, reporting, about $250 an hour, which is the standard rate for other special prosecutors that have been hired by prosecutors' offices. And the reason, so people like, well, why was he hired in the first place? Many prosecutorial offices don't have enough staff. They don't have enough personnel. When they take on a, a big prosecution like this case, 16, 17 defendants, and they'll hire lawyers from private practice, lawyers who have their own law firms, who may work at other big law firms. Uh, we saw that in the case when the uh, 
the cop who killed George Floyd, one of those lawyers was brought on by the prosecutor from a private law firm. So nothing unusual about that. The $250 an hour, very standard, you know, really inexpensive, as we know, for a lot of lawyers. A lot of Trump's lawyers are making $1,500 to $2,000 an hour. That's assuming they can get paid, but that's what they charge. And the amount of money, they've been trying to make a big deal about that, $600,000. Again, sounds like a big number, but that's because there's been a lot of hours expended by Wade and his firm. So when you multiply a large number of hours by $250 an hour, you get this $600,000. But here's the issue, Bernardo. They're saying, the, and they being the defendant, the co-defendant, uh, I think his name is Michael Roman, who brought the first uh, motion forward, he's not claiming that the 250 was extraordinary and not necessarily even claiming the 600,000 uh, over this course of a year is extraordinary. What he's saying is Wade and Willis took trips, a cruise, a wine trip, airplane uh, trips, and that he has the receipts to show that Wade purchased the cruise uh, tickets, the airline tickets, et cetera. And he's trying to link the payment of those, you know, trips, airlines, et cetera, to the money, the $600,000 that Wade got from uh, the district attorney's office. And, and one question I have in mind, so let's assume Wade had other clients other than the county, the Fulton County. So into his bank account is coming checks from Fulton County, checks from ABC and you know NBC and whoever his other clients are, and then all that money gets commingled. He probably pays himself a salary or somehow he gets a partnership distribution. And then he takes his private money and his own private bank accounts and pays for airline ticket. So help us understand how they would ever know what money was spent to purchase tickets, it, assuming they could even prove that that did, effect, did in fact occur. Exactly, Ariba. Exactly. So are we saying that this man didn't work anywhere else, didn't have any other clients, wasn't bringing in any other business, that the only money that he had coming in, and we're not talking about just for a few months, we're talking about over two years in payment. Are we saying that the only money he was receiving was from the state of Georgia for this prosecution, for this investigation? It is absolute nonsense. That's why when Nathaniel Ward, all he has to, uh, has to do is just get up on the stand and say, look, I had several clients and I was making money or money was coming in from several other clients. And that ends that line of inquiry right there. But that was also already placed in the, in the motion that was presented by Ms. Willis in her response. So that's why I'm confused as to why Judge McAfee will allow this evidentiary hearing. But actually, you know what? Ariva, I'm not confused. He wants to appear that there is no bias. He wants to show that there's transparency in his courtroom. And by wanting to show that there's transparency in his courtroom, he wants the world to know, look, I just didn't rule and take the word of Fonnie Willis. I heard an evidentiary hearing, which by the way, all of you are going to be hearing because cameras are allowed in the courtroom. We heard the same evidence. I applied that evidence to the law and this is my decision. I already know Judge McAfee Lee, 
McAfee, I believe, is going to rule in favor of uh, D.A. Fonnie Willis and is now going to disqualify her. But I think what he wants to do is just show the world that there was fundamental fairness in how this proceeding went through. Well, so you, you said that in the papers, so Michael Roman filed his motion. The judge then told Fonnie Willis and Mr. Wade to file their papers, their opposition to state basically their side. You're saying there's already been uh, evidence pr produced by Fonnie Willis and Mr. Wade to show that he had other clients, other income, and that money wasn't used from the state of Georgia for any trips or any activities he's uh, engaged in with Fonnie Willis. That's already, you said, been introduced by the Wade and Willis team? Yeah, so Fonnie Willis even took it a step further. She submitted an affidavit where she put in receipts where she said whatever expenses that she had with uh, Mr. Wade, that they actually split the expenses. So by splitting the expenses, she is saying, look, he didn't pay for anything that I spent. I paid my own money. So that takes the conversation completely off the table as to whether this special prosecutor used any of the state funding to pay for anything having to deal with DA Willis. Now, one of the other allegations uh, I just saw today as I was kind of researching this uh, is that there's going to be a lawyer, a lawyer that worked with Mr. Wade and his law firm. Uh, I think his name is Mr. Bradley. He actually handled Mr. Wade's divorce because Mr. Wade's getting a divorce from his wife. And according to Michael Roman's lawyer, this former divorce attorney for Mr. Wade is going to come in and testify that Fonnie Willis and Mr. Wade are lying about when their personal relationship began. He apparently is going to testify that their personal relationship began before Fonnie Willis hired Mr. Wade uh, and that they had an ongoing relationship. And another allegation is that apparently because of death threats and threats of violence, that at some point Fonnie Willis was living in a, a safe house, a house that is hidden from the public, away from her own private residence, one that is protected by law enforcement and that Mr. Wade lived with her for some time in this safe house. And now this is where, again, Michael Roman and the defendants, they want this to be as salacious as possible. They want you to you know, be like you're watching a, a true crime documentary on Discovery ID or something with you know, sex and money being exchanged and safe houses. So they're just introducing all of these elements to really muddy the waters and, and make it seem like there's a whole lot there, there. Uh, when we come forward, I want to talk about, you know, what might it mean to have Wade's former divorce attorney testify in favor of Michael Roman. Like, how did we get to this point? Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. Ariva time is the right time. More of Ariva Martin in real time when we come forward. forward. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back and veteran prosecutor Bernardo Villalona is with me in this hour. We're talking about this explosive or potentially explosive hearing that's going to happen on Thursday in a Fulton County state courtroom. 
when Judge uh, McAfee, who is presiding over the RICO case against Donald Trump and co-defendants, is going to allow an evidentiary hearing to be held on allegations that Bonnie Willis has been involved in an intimate relationship with one of her special prosecutors, uh, Nathaniel Wade. Uh, we know that, uh, as you said, uh, Bernarda, there have been some affidavits filed by Bonnie Willis saying that she didn't receive any benefit from any money paid from the county or the state to Wade's law firm, that any dates they went on, any trips they took, she paid her share with her own money, uh, and that there isn't any financial impropriety or any financial conflict. But one of the things that's troubling me, and I, I do agree with you that the judge is allowing an evidentiary hearing rather than deciding this matter on the affidavit so that those who would seek to say that he's biased and that he's anti-Trump will at least get to have, uh, you know, an opportunity to see a, a witnesses testify. Now, the MAGA crowd, no matter what this judge does, if he rules in favor that Fannie Willis can stay on the case, they're going to be upset about it. So it doesn't much matter for them. But for purposes of transparency and uh, you know, trying to maintain or restore whatever trust people may have or may not have in the judicial system. He's saying, let's air it out. Let's have a hearing. But so this former business partner of Wade's who was also his divorce attorney, because a lot of this started because this Michael Roman, this co-defendant, found out that Wade and his ex-wife or soon to be ex-wife were, were disputing uh, things in their, their marriage. And one of them was who had an affair and who didn't have an affair. And I guess Fannie Willis's name came up. But why would the judge let this former business partner, former divorce attorney for Wade testify that Wade's and Willis's relationship predates Willis's hiring of Wade if it really isn't, if the case isn't about their personal relationship? So I'm even more concerned because whatever happened to attorney-client privilege? So how much information are you going to get from this attorney who used to represent Mr. Wade? Because, of course, Mr. Wade has not waived the attorney-client relationship. So for those who don't know, if you have an attorney that you hired and you had certain conversations with them, because those conversations that you had with them are considered privileged, they are not allowed in a court of law. So I will be curious to see how much information that Judge McAfee is going to allow in, aside from I used to be his attorney in a divorce proceeding. When did it start and when did it end? Because neither of the parties are going to waive that privilege. And unless they waive that privilege, you are not going to get any evidence out of this attorney on the stand. The only way you can possibly get any evidence is if any of that information was made public by either the attorney or Mr. Wade. But so if that's the case, why isn't this former divorce attorney himself filing a motion saying, I'm going to take the fifth? Uh, I can't testify, or not the fifth, but I'm going to claim attorney-client privilege and be unable, Your Honor, to answer any questions about any information I learned uh, through the confidences of my former client, Mr. Wade. This lawyer, the Michael Roman lawyer, feels very confident that this former divorce attorney is going to come in 
and support their claim that the relationship predated the hiring. So let's assume we put aside the attorney-client privilege. Maybe it's been already uh, breached. Maybe there's already been, uh, you know, some way that it's been waived. But let's just focus on what he knows. If he can say that Wade and Willis were dating before Willis hired Wade, why is that even relative, rele relevant if the judge has already said the relationship is not the problem? Ariva, I think why it becomes relevant is if you have a witness that can say that Bonnie Willis lied on her affidavit. Mm -hmm. Remember, she submitted an affidavit as a part of her motion. And in that motion, she said that the relationship that she had with Mr. Wade happened after he was hired. If you have someone, an attorney who used to represent one of the parties, admitting on the stand that the party admitted to him doing their conversations that there was a relationship and it started at, start, at a certain date. And that date is preceding the appointment of Mr. Wade. It's a bigger problem. It's a bigger problem. And that's what I, Bernarda, problem. I cannot wrap my brain around the fact that an experienced lawyer like Fannie Willis would make a false statement to a court in a case, this for any case, but definitely not a case this high profile. Ariba, no one even asked you when the relationship started. So she didn't even have to include that in the affidavit. That is something that she volunteered. She could have left the start date of this relationship completely out of her motion. That's the thing that is so mind blowing to me because anyone can misconstrue me going out for drinks with someone and, and automatically someone thinking, oh, they must be dating. I could be dating that person or I could just be going out for drinks. Like who is to also define what is dating? Ariva, this is a rabbit hole that I just wish no one had to go down. Like I wish you would yeah, not I'm have thinking put that too. in the affidavit. Yeah, I, I'm thinking too. So Wade could have said to Bradley, wow, that Fonnie Willis is hot. I really would like to date right. her or, you know, she's cool or whatever. And Bradley thinks that that meant they were in a relationship. You're right. Like, what is a relationship? Who's a girlfriend? Who's a boyfriend? What's dating? What's not dating? It could, but this judge, I'm with you. This judge is not going to let this just devolve into, uh, you know, like a whole trial on these ancillary issues. I, I hope as you suggested that Fannie Willis has not pinned herself down to a date and that there is a witness that can contradict a date that she maybe has put in writing in a sworn statement to the court, because then we are dealing with a potential bigger issue because if she has in any way perjured herself, and I, I just don't even believe that's possible. I have to imagine that once this information broke, she has counsel. She's a lawyer. Everybody involved are lawyers. Everybody knows the significance of being truthful and not submitting false statements to the court. So we're, we're just going to assume that that's a lot of nonsense, that this woman has not in any way uh, made any misstatements to the court. And everything she says is, is absolutely 100 percent accurate and supportable. Let's talk about this safe house. So here's another allegation from Michael Roman's uh you know, lawyer that she has information that Willis was living in a county funded safe house because she had threats against her and that uh, Wade lived with her in this safe house. Let's assume 
that happened. What are the implications of that? Well, according to Georgia law, parties can be married and it's still not considered a conflict of interest. So it's not going to be an issue in order to disqualify her from from being the district attorney prosecuting this case. But again, we have to go back to when did the... Mr. Wade sleeping in the safe house actually take place. But who's to say anyway, if they were sleeping in the same safe house, whether they were knocking boots or Reba. So again, there are so many different arguments that can be made. I just wish that this did not become the story of the day, the story of the days and the weeks and the months. Like who cares who she knocking boots with? I want to know whether the presentation of the evidence to the grand jury, was it tainted in any way? That's all that should matter when we're talking about the prosecution of Donald Trump and the numerous other defendants. Yeah, you're so right. And unfortunately, we got to, you know, we got to call a spade a spade. Bonnie Willis and Nathaniel Wade put themselves in this position. Uh, No one put a gun to their head. They both knew that if a relationship got out, that this would be the consequences that Trump and his team deflect, deflect, deflect. And they are masterful at causing distractions and that they would make this the story. As you said, the story should be about the efforts by Donald Trump and those co-defendants to subvert the 2020 uh, election and their efforts to try to undermine the legitimate election of Joe Biden. But unfortunately, when you engage in this kind of conduct, even if it's not disqualifying, even if it's not illegal, you know that it has the potential to be distracting. And that's what this has become, a major, major distraction. And for some, no matter what this hearing reveals or no matter what the outcome is, no matter what the ruling is by the judge, they are forever going to see her as the woman uh, that you know put herself in this compromising position. When we come forward, I want to talk about just finally her dad. So finally, Willis's father lives in California And she wants him to be a witness via Zoom. Uh, Interesting to know what he may know about all of this. And then we were talking about the definition of dating. Let's talk about the definition of lived with. You know, how do you know if someone's living with someone versus spending the night? So a lot of issues here. When we come forward, more on KBLA Talk 1580. She's the real deal. In real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. Let's get back to more of Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. All right, Bernarda, we are continuing to try to make sense of what we think is going to happen on Thursday at this evidentiary hearing in Fulton County, where the district attorney, Fannie Willis, uh, her credibility, her relationship, how she spends her money, where she goes on vacation, where she lays her head at night, who lays next to her when she lays her head down. All of those are going to be questions uh, that might be revealed or answers that might be revealed in this evidentiary hearing. One of the witnesses that Fannie Willis wants to call is her father. And her father, Bernarda, lives in California and is supposed to, if he is called to testify, will do so via uh, Zoom or some kind of a virtual uh, you know, way. What uh, Fannie Willis's dad know about all of this? Exactly. I'm confused about that, especially Ariva, since 
Bonnie Willis is well aware that anyone that is associated with this case is getting a lot of backlash and threats by MAGA Republicans from Trump's crew. So why even put her, I don't understand why she would even put her father, involve her father in these proceedings because absolutely people are going to come after him, whether it's on social media or just going to his house or different types of threats. That is coming. That is coming. So I don't know. It has to be something so powerful that she thinks that it will move the needle at this hearing. But from what, what how I see things, I see no relevance in it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, in our last couple of minutes, Bernardo, let's talk about those folks, including some Democrats, some Georgia law school professors who are saying that Fonnie Willis should step down, that she should step down before Thursday. Uh, that she should not allow herself, her office, uh, Mr. Wade, any of them have to take the witness stand in this hearing. What do you make of those uh, calls for her to step down? I don't think that Fonnie Willis should step down. If anything, I think Nathaniel Wade should step down. Um, and the reasons are, if you take Nathaniel Wade out of the equation, then there's no issue in the terms of an appearance of impropriety, an appearance of a conflict of interest. Of course, why I say Fannie Willis shouldn't step down, because if Fannie Willis steps down and a prosecutor is appointed, then there, let's just be clear, that prosecution is no longer going to go forward. Whoever takes it over is going to stall the prosecution. The election is going to come in November, and this case is still going. There is no case until probably the following year, and that's if Donald Trump doesn't win. And let me even ask you if this, he does, Bernardo, let me ask you this: Let's say Bonnie is found to be disqualified, Wade is disqualified, and who then? I assume it's the Georgia governor, uh, Kemp, would get to appoint a prosecutor knowing that we're in a red state and if Kemp gets an appointment, it's not going to be a Democrat like Fannie Willis. It's likely to be a Republican. Could that new prosecutor come in and say, I don't even think the evidence is strong enough. I want to dismiss the entire 17 defendants from this RICO case. Could that happen? Absolutely. I think it's the Prosecution Association of Georgia who will appoint the special prosecutor to take over this case. But whoever takes it over is going to have a fresh set of eyes on the case and they can decide and say, look, I'm not moving forward with this prosecution. I'm going to dismiss the case against the remaining defendants because four defendants already pled guilty. So that prosecutor can change this entire trajectory of this case if someone were to be appointed. So that's why Fannie Willis is in the best interest for her to remain and just try to ride out this wave. You know, people remember in Bill Cosby's case, that's what happened. You had one prosecutor who looked at the yes. evidence and said it wasn't enough evidence to move forward to prosecute Bill Cosby on criminal charges. You have an election. New prosecutor gets elected. That new prosecutor comes in, looks at some of the same evidence, and he says some additional evidence. He prosecutes, gets a conviction, and then Bill Cosby ends up in jail. So to your point, uh, a new prosecutor with fresh eyes could come in. We've seen that happen uh, in the Jesse Smollett case. The prosecutor didn't go forward. New prosecutor gets appointed, goes forward, gets a conviction. So uh, given that, all that's at stake, how come Mr. Wade hasn't voluntarily said, I don't want to jeopardize this prosecution. I will step aside. There are lots of lawyers in Georgia who have criminal trial experience, 
that I'm sure would love to come on board for such a historic case. So why do you think Wade hasn't already done that? Ariva, it could be that Wade doesn't want to give it any validity, any of these accusations, and he feels that by stepping down, then he's given it validity, he's given it truth that these accusations are actually true, and that's why he's remaining on the case. But you have to think as a prosecutor, you have to look at what is best for the case. And if what is best for the case, since that is your number one goal, if it's for you to step down, then you step down. Because aside from all these distractions, guess what else is happening? Ariva, you're tainting the jury pool. This is your jury pool is listening to all of this. So now you're going to have a jury pool that eventually if the case does go forward and you have to select a jury, you have to also add questions. Did you hear of any accusations having to deal with DA Fonnie Willis and with Nathaniel Wade? And if can you put that aside, even if you did hear it? So now you're adding an extra layer of questions that you have to ask these potential jurors if the case does go to a jury trial. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I've been thinking about that. Like the jurors already, there's concern in a red state, even though we're in Fulton County, which is more uh, progressive and liberal than the rest of Georgia. But you're already in a state uh, where Donald Trump and Republicans have a great deal of prominence and popularity. So picking a jury that is likely to hold him accountable is already problem enough. You know, it's a big enough hurdle and now to add to that these salacious allegations and to have it come out on the witness stand, the judge, even though he says he's going to keep you know a tight rein on the testimony, he is going to allow some testimony about their relationship. So we are going to hear some basic details about when that relationship started. You know, did he live with her? Some of these questions are going to come up, and I don't know. I, I just I agree. I don't think finding Willis, she's elected by the people. So I do not think she should step aside. I don't think based on anything we've seen to date, there's any reason under Georgia law that she would be disqualified on the facts that are before us. But I think Mr. Wade, he's made $600,000. He's been a part of a groundbreaking historic case. Uh, and sometimes, you know, you just have to cut your losses. Decisions have consequences. So he and Fannie Willis decide to have this relationship uh, no matter when they decided it, they had to know as grown-ups, grown folks, as grown lawyers, that if this information got out, that it could be distracting. And, it, it, you know, we can't risk the prosecution of someone as dangerous as Donald Trump because of their personal relationship. And, and I, I agree with you. He's probably feeling like if I do step down, then it's like admitting that I did something wrong. But sometimes you got to take one for the team. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not about you. This is not about finding. This is bigger than both of them. This is about the country. It's about the rule of law. It's about holding Donald Trump and these other, uh, like I said, four have played out. So there's other 11, 12 people accountable. And anything that's going to jeopardize that just has to be removed. Uh, we're going to be watching this closely, Bernarda. Uh, I don't know. The judge has already said we may not get through all the evidence on Thursday. Can you imagine this being two days, maybe rolling into Monday, a third day? Oh, I'm getting nervous just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> We're hoping yeah. that all of this concludes on Thursday. I mean, by latest Friday, and then the judge will take a couple days, if not a few weeks, to make a decision. But he wants to move the case along, so I can see him reaching a decision with the next week or two after the conclusion of every evidence. 
Well, thank you, Bernarda. This is uh, complicated stuff for non-lawyers. Even for us lawyers, it's a little complicated, particularly if you don't practice in Georgia or you haven't been in a prosecutor's office. I really appreciate your insights on this and your analysis. We're going to be watching, like the rest of the country, on Thursday. Donald Trump, who said he was going to be in that courtroom, will now be in a courtroom in New York City because he is facing criminal charges uh, brought by the district attorney in Manhattan. So he won't be there. Uh, but we'll look forward to whatever the outcome is with the judge and definitely have you back to talk about that as well. Uh, so, again, thank you, my friend. Next voice that you hear will be Robin Ayers and the Rye Report right here on KBLA Talk 1580. Don't touch that down.